Today, we are going to have a lot of fun. You guys all right? You okay? Good, good. Yeah. Two people, three people, four people. Can I get, can I go? I'm going to. Just making sure. Come on, people. I know the lights are down, but come on. I can still see you. you. I can see you. Don't worry. I can see you. But I want to tell you what happened in the year 1936. It seems just like yesterday. 1936. A simpler time. 20th of January 1936, to be precise, was uh, King George V had just passed away. Uh, you may remember this moment. Uh, very sad times. And, uh, but after that, on the 20th of January, his son, King, King Edward VIII, would ascend to the throne and uh, what would normally be full of pomp and ceremony, excitement, because this was the man who was taking the title of being king of England, king of the Commonwealth, and charge head of the English church, uh, a man who would represent God for humanity in the eyes of the English public, a man who had some connection to divinity in some senses. This man, it should have been such excitement, but he had a bit of uh, a morose to it because he was embroiled in an ongoing affair with a, a tawdry affair with a, a woman named Wallace Simpson who was in a, had been divorced once before, wasn't going through a second divorce. And it just seemed like the story was tainted with earth. A story that should have been a, 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 an exalted story was one that was tainted with the brokenness of humanity. And when it came to the crux of it, a year later, Edward could not reconcile these two desires, the desire for supreme authority and the desire for this woman, so he ended up abdicating the throne, and, and, and with it, saying to his followers, saying that actually not only I, but he had to make a statement saying, not only I abdicate the throne, but the, the rights, divine rights of my children to come to this throne have now also been swept aside, and he stepped aside and settled for the woman, and in, in, in one fell swoop, his name almost eradicated from the history books, almost put aside in ignominy, put aside on the, there, because he was unable to make a big decision that would impact something bigger. And maybe a little bit more uh, closer to home. In the garage about 30 or so years ago, 40 years ago now, there was a small company, you may have heard it, that was started called Apple. Maybe you've known of it. But there was two men, Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs, who were at the helm of this. But there was a third player, uh, an incredible man named Ronald Wayne, who was one of the early investors, early of the, the early frontline guys who invested 800 of his own dollars to get a 10% share in Apple at that stage. But as the company was about to go public, Ronald Wayne got cold feet and said, I've got, got to pull out, guys. So he took his $800 and said, guys, I've got bills to pay. I've got a family to feed. I don't see this going much further. I'm out on this investment. Forty years later, Ronald Wayne's 10% shares that he pulled out are worth $100 billion U.S. dollars. There's another man named Mark Nelson, close personal friend. I lie, he's not. I just read about him on Wikipedia. But Mark Nelson was a man who was at the, the, the forefront of launching a band called Boys to Men. And he was the front, uh, he was the front man. He was the man that was going to pioneer this, this band and as they took on the world. But as the, as the CD, the first album was about to be launched, as the first single of End of the Road was about to be released into the stratosphere, Mark Nelson again got cold feet and said, guys, I don't think this band is going anywhere. I'm going solo. He unplugged from that band. And the last we've heard of Mark Nelson was him doing great karaoke at the bar down the road for his grandma. That part was also not true, but I just made that up. His name has been swept aside. Famously for me was a story in 1994. A team called Blackburn Rovers. Soccer team had just reached the pinnacle of success. Won the premiership for the first time. They were riding this wave, on, on a, a, a wave of adulation and, ex, and, and exaltation. And Blackburn Rovers can do no wrong. Along their path comes in the transfer market a, a, less, a little known player called Zinedine Zidane. And they said, Blackburn Rovers, do you want this player? And the, the manager and the owner of the team at the time famously said these words. He said they would haunt him for the rest of his life. 
Who needs Zinedine Zidane when you have Tim Sherwood? Zinedine Zidane has won six Ballon d'Ors, has reached international fame with, in, in the coaching and playing sphere like not many else. And Blackburn Rovers, they're at the, the very bottom end of the championship and have not even come close to sniffing a title ever since. I tell these stories as earthly accounts, but I want to tell you as we culminate this series, we've been preaching on heaven, hell, hope, eternity, eternal themes, trying to stir our affections for something bigger than the here and now. I am here as the, as the, the last attempt of the series to appeal to you and I, to appeal to the very depths of us that we would not sell ourselves short and give up eternal glory for just a temporary story here and now. There will be people, those stories, Ronald Wayne, Mark Nelson, Blackburn Rovers, King Edward VIII, those stories pale into what you and I are called to do in the here and now in light of eternity. Maybe more succinctly, I put it this way, the line that I pray will be imprinted on your heart today is this line. Would you and I live fully for heaven's reward? Because if we do so, we'll die empty of any regret. Let me say it again, live fully for heaven's reward and you will die empty of any regret. Let's make this thing biblical. Matthew 19, verse 16 to 30. It says this, it's a story uh, more commonly known as the rich young ruler and it starts off like this. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your mother and father, love your neighbor as yourself. The guy replied, I've obeyed all these commandments. What else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad. He pulled a Ronald Wayne, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? Jesus looked at him intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Then Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Jesus replied to them, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. An incredible text. This titled Rich Young Ruler. It starts off revolving around this the central character, rich young ruler, and almost in his name, he's not named uh, besides these, these three titles he's given him, but almost these three titles exemplify what, what the world can offer us. The pinnacle of what the world says is success. Rich wealth. Says, There's wealth. Give yourself to pushing after wealth. Youth, uh, the applause of man, the popularity of man, people seeing you and saying, you're amazing, you're doing so well. Ruler, 
a sense of authority and power and significance in this world. But then Peter, at the back end of it, and there's the, the part of the text I want to zone in on this morning, Peter says, and it's almost like it's almost this guy says, but what about us? You know that guy? But what about me? I've did this. We've given up homes. We've done this to follow you. And some of you would almost think that deserve Jesus say, hey, Peter, come and stop grumbling. But Jesus doesn't see us grumbling. He answers him and says, actually, Peter, you're right. Those people who've given up much in this life will be rewarded in the next. And he brings to light something in the a doctrine that's come surfaces from that moment onwards into the New Testament about rewards. That there is more. There is more waiting for us. That this is not just about fire insurance, escape from hell to get into heaven. No, he said, there's more waiting for you. Would you live every breath for that day? And Jesus opens this up for us. And I want to tell you today, as we lean into this text, I believe God's going to do something profound. I say to you today, would you live fully for heaven's reward? Live fully for heaven's reward. And I guarantee you, you'll die empty of any earthly regret. Let's pray. Father, I pray for us this morning. We thank you for your word, your eternal word. I pray as we preach it today, it will bear eternal fruit in our hearts. Would you burn eternity into every single heart here today? Would you burn it? Would you set aflame the kindling of our heart that would burn forever, God? I thank you, Father, that you would, would, you, would every other lesser pursuit, privilege, pleasure, lesser promise grow dimmer and dimmer and dimmer until only you remain. I pray this bold prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor? We're going to do this together. This is not me preaching. Why don't you turn to someone? Shout it out. Shout it out, 1030. Say, I'm ready for this. Come on. Come on. We got to do it together. And I, and I want to tell you, you know, I live on people giving me encouragement. I preach better when people encourage me. But I want to tell you, even if you're not going to encourage me, I'm going to encourage myself. This is a good preach that's coming your way. Come on. I'm going to be, I'm going to be as bold to say, this is good content. And I'm going to say, you need to write it down. So if you are not in the habit of taking notes, get out your phone, even write down the five points. These things are of eternal value. These aren't just musings of someone on the internet. This is not just a Christian meme. This is the word of God that needs to go into your heart for it has eternal ramifications. So let's do this together. Five things. There are five eternal crowns and rewards that are spoken of in the New Testament that are explicit in the New Testament that Christ will hand out to believers at the culmination of this age. There are five crowns that are, are waiting for us. I want to take us through them quickly this morning. Number one is a crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy 4.8 says this, And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Apostle Paul writing, but I love how he gives almost, how, what, is this, what is the thing that is predicating this crown of righteousness given out? He says it there, he says, this is given out to all who long for his appearing, all who have orientated their lives around he is coming back. This is best exemplified for me by what happens every Friday. In the morning, my four-year-old daughter, she says to me, Dad, today it's Friday. I said, yeah, I know my baby, I know. She goes, and you know what that means after school? I said, yep. She goes, it's the weekend, baby. I'm like, oh, Yeah. So she said, Dad, I want you to come fetch me early. I said, I'm coming early, my love. I'm coming early, you know. She goes, but Dad, she doesn't know the 24-hour clock yet. She's not got that down, you know. We've got fractions. We've got long division. We've got algebra. But the, the time, I'm just joking, people. I'm joking. That only comes next year. Um, but she doesn't know times too well. So when I tell her, I said, I'm coming then. She goes, no, but when, Dad? Is it before bread and tea or after bread and tea? Now that's it, you know. Got to work out what, what's, what, what side of the clock am I coming? So I say, love, after your nap, 
I'll come after that before bread and tea. Ooh, you gotta be careful with Olivia with details. She's like any good woman. You, you don't overpromise on details. They'll zone in on that detail. Dad, you said, I'm like, what? She remembers that stuff. So I'm telling you, once she wakes up from a nap, on a Friday, Olivia is poised at the front gate of our school, looking, 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 waiting for dad to come home, that at the mere sight of him, as that white car comes on the corner, as she hears that bell ring, if she sees, catches a glimpse of me, uh, she'll she will race to get her bag. She'll race to get the things that need to be taken. She's running. She's, in that moment, she's eyes are on the gate. Dad's here. It's the weekend, baby. She's waiting for that moment, poised. People coming. Oh, she's pulling my hair. I don't care. I'm looking for my dad. I've got this game. I don't care. Dad's coming. She's waiting. She's waiting, poised. And it's with that idea in my heart that pales when actually what Paul is saying to us as Christ followers, would we live our lives with that posture? He's coming back. At any moment, at any day, I tell you, he could come back tomorrow. And if he did, how would that affect how you live this afternoon? How would you deal with offense in your heart this afternoon? How would you deal with unrepaired relationships, with, with, with habits this afternoon? I, I, I dare say we wouldn't all go sling back onto the couch if we knew tomorrow he was coming. Something would change in our hearts. And Paul is writing, live every day. The crown of righteousness is waiting and stored up for those who live with that posture. He's coming back. So I tell you, uh, in time, theology, we've been done a disservice by being sold something cheap. By saying, oh, watch out for the signs. Who's the mark of the beast? What's, who's the antichrist? What's going to happen? Where is this happening? Whoa, X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. I tell you, be aware of the signs, but lift your eyes higher. Look to the skies. We're people who are not consumed with earthly things. We're consumed with heavenly realities, eternal realities. And I want to say, if we are a people who are called to live every day like this, make every decision through this filter, he is coming back. There's a reward. There's a reward for that. Uh, it's in the sense of I want to tell you what you do in public, what you do in private. Jesus says, I see it. I see it and I will reward it. What people might not recognize the way you've made decisions about relationships, about marriage, about finances, but in light, I'm going to do it in light of that day. He says, I will reward that. I say to you today, live fully for eternity's reward and you will live empty of any regret. Secondly, there's a crown of life. James 1 verse 12 says, God blesses those who patiently endure trial and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life. Years ago, a preacher in America, Francis Chan, helped bring an illustration that made eternity a bit more tangible for us. People maybe like me who don't have higher grades, you know, we're the people who need something a bit more tangible. Eternity is almost this ethereal, out there, somewhere far off type of reality. But he said, no, you got a rope. And, uh, and if you can imagine, a rope extends from the left to the right. My preaching budget doesn't extend to getting a rope on stage. But anyway, we'll move on from that. But imagine a rope that's going all the way from that side of the room to all the way that side of the room. And he'll say, that's the length of eternity. Then he drew the attention of the congregation to a small mark on the, on the rope that he had highlighted with a, with a black mark. And he said, this little length, this little aspect on this long scheme of eternity is our life. Is our plus minus 70, 80 years, years here on life. And he said, imagine how, if we understood this truly, how stupid we would feel. Looking in light of this, and we say, I have spent all my best energies, my best emotions, my best money, my best days, giving my attention to how I can live this moment the best, how I can save up for 50, 60 years so I can have the last 10 years oh, on a boat somewhere in retirement. I'm giving my life to that type of dream. How stupid are we? How dumb are we when we should be living for that life? 
the, the, the great artist Drake himself said it in a way in 2010. He said a phrase that would become the epitome of, of the millennial generation who are looking for something to, to, to give their lives to. He said this phrase, hashtag YOLO. You only live once. And he unleashed a furor of people who, who their, their lust and desires and selfishness were like, yes, that's a theology and, and, a, and, a, and, a, and an idea, a philosophy I can give myself behind. So people have given up relationships, spent money, done this thing, given up on anything worthwhile, education, because you know what, YOLO. But I want to tell you, YOLO, no, no. YOLO is so-so, wrong, wrong. A better phrase, I can keep that going for how long. A better phrase, and you can put this out there, this is going to sell huge on the Christian market. Hashtag, I can see the t-shirts now, YOLT. You only live twice. You live now, in the here and now, for this little bit, and then you will live for eternity. You will live for eternity. And this is what the Bible is saying. So when we understand this, we understand this thing. And I, I, are you ready for some controversy? I love to stir it up here this morning. I love it. I want to posture this thought that actually people in this world are not so terrified of COVID. They're terrified to die. People are terrified of death because they don't know what happens after that. But I want to tell you today that death has been defeated. And when we have an eternal mindset, we know that death is just a doorway to our real life. The Bible says our real life is the eternal life. This is just a dress rehearsal. And with that idea, with that in our hearts, that concept in our hearts, we start to realize that we reframe trials and temptations. Trials and temptation are for this life. There will no be no more trials and hardships. There will be no more temptations and sin in eternity. Trials and temptation for the believer are the privilege of this age. Yes, you heard me right. The privilege of uh, uh, this age for us to endure patiently for the glory of God. Now, I'm not here to make light of your trials. I'm not here to make light of the temptations. The Bible is here to make light of your trials and temptations. Apostle Paul says these momentary trials and temptations, these light afflictions, the light afflictions are storing up for you an eternal weight of glory. Let me say it this way to you and I. Would you find Jesus to be greater than your trial? Today, my prayer for you is, would you find Jesus to be greater than your temptation? Greater than your sickness. He is our healer from sickness, but he's also our sustainer in the grip of sickness. He's the one who sets us free from temptation, but he's also the one who helps us endure temptation like a good soldier and say no to unrighteousness. Would you find Jesus greater? Because I tell you today, if you live fully for heaven's reward, you will die empty of any regret. Thirdly, there's a crown of glory. 1 Peter 5, 4 says, And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Context of 1 Peter 5 is written to pastors, shepherds, people who look after the people of God, who use their God-given authority and position not to lord it over people, not to try and do it for money or an evil gain or their own selfish ambition, but to serve the people of God. He says, there's a crown of glory waiting. But I want to also tell you, I think it's, it's not far as too straight to say, I don't think it's just reserved for pastors. I think it's for every believer who has any sense of source, uh, any status of power, 
authority privilege, who says, I'm going to leverage my power, my privilege, my authority, my status for the sake of others. There's a crown of glory waiting for you. In 1997, two significant ladies in the world died, Princess Diana and Mother Teresa. And there are these two ladies who wielded power in very different ways. Princess Diana was somebody that everybody wanted to be like, but nobody could, because only one person could marry the prince. Mother Teresa, on the other side, was a lady that nobody wanted to be like, but everybody could have been. Different ways to power, and I, I was told a story the other day by my mom, who was telling me a story about the, the ladies' meetings in Zimbabwe. And these were, these were exciting events. And they had different moments where all the ladies would gather and would spend most of the time, some, a lot of the time up front, honoring different ladies. This woman calling her up. She started a business. Yeah, she's amazing. This woman, she's, she's, gained, uh, new, she's done a new work, a new artwork, a new book, a new CD. This woman's done this. She's done this. And different things. And people would applaud. Nothing wrong with that. Amazing job. Well done. Using your gifts and talents. Amazing. But my mom said every week, her eye would catch a lady who would come a little bit late and would sit at the back, a lady called Mrs. Vanderbank. Mrs. Vanderbank. And she would walk come late because she would be pushing her special needs child who was restricted to a wheelchair and who had had the diagnosis that the child would never leave the wheelchair, would be under her care for the rest of their lives. And Mrs. Vanderbank wouldn't be able to take fully in the, 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 the moment's excitement because she'll be wiping up her son's dribble, feeding him food, helping make sure that he was okay, wouldn't fall out the chair, keeping him controlled, giving her best energies to serve this child. A child who never get any recognition, a child who never get any applause, a child who never make it on any metric that the world says is success. My mom said this idea, saying, can you imagine what it's going to be like in heaven when the crowns are being distributed? The mass crowd will be gathering, chomping at the bits, and our father will look, and he'll look through the crowd and go, Mrs. Van der Bank, come on up! Everyone, who? Pushing past all the people. She's like, what, what did I do? I didn't do anything significant. I never preached. I, ne I never did anything. I didn't, what did I do? And she said, I saw you. Every time you served that boy, every time you laid aside your agenda, your power, your authority to serve that boy, you, what you did to the least of these, you did it to me. Here is your crown of glory. I, I prophesy today, maybe you're sitting here today and you're bemoaning your lot in life bemoaning how the chips have fallen, bemoaning how the health has gone astray in your family, how you see, I feel like I'm chained to this marriage, I'm chained to this situation, I'm chained to this relation, I'm chained to this, this, this diagnosis. What do I do? I pray to you today, I, I prophesy, he sees you. He sees you. His eyes see you. Maybe nobody else does, but his eyes see you. And there's a crown of glory awaiting. Say again, live fully for heaven's reward, and you will die empty of any regret. Fourthly, there's a crown of joy. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 says, After all, who gives us our, our hope? This is Paul speaking. And what will be our proud reward and crown of joy as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? It is you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. The understanding of the crown of joy is that it's, it's allotted to those who've played a role in winning souls to Christ who have leveraged their lives to, for that end, for that eternal purpose. And I want to say to you, I, I position to you today that all those souls who came to faith because of you, because of your prayers, because of your kindness, because of your generosity and your giving, 
There's a reward waiting for you. There's applause waiting for you. There'll be people around you who will come up to you in, in eternity and say, I am here because of you. You're like, how? I, I, I didn't know you. I didn't do it. No, no, but you prayed. You prayed, and that person got saved, and that person led me to the Lord. You prayed. I think the rewards will be held out very differently than the way we would do it here on earth. Jesus even links our generosity to eternal things. He said, don't just give us the, the bagans you there to actually take your finances and leverage them to eternity. Store it up in heaven. I want to tell you, I give not to keep these lights on. I give to the local church because I know that my giving serves eternity. My finances will serve eternity. Not just temporary means. They'll serve eternal purposes. I tell you, I thank God. I thank God for the two ladies the two girls, teenage girls who had so much to lose, who approached my wife in a classroom 15 or so years ago, a hard-hearted head girl, my, my wife, who, was, should have, who had a lot against her, and two girls came and started to speak the gospel to her, who risked their reputation, risked their relationship to come and speak Jesus to her. I thank God for those girls because because of her, because of them, my wife found Christ. Because of that, her mother found Christ. Because of that, her sister found Christ. Because of that, my children are being raised in the ways of the Lord. Because of that, our children, 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 children will inherit a promise. Can I tell you, I thank God for those two girls. When we planted the Life Changes City, we had an event that was incredibly exciting, full hall, and we spent the time honoring different people. This guy helped us get the building. This is one of the leaders who spoke words of courage. This person prophesied. This person did this. Yay! <coughs> At the very end, my eye caught somebody sitting next to my dad. It was a lady, a small lady called Gabby Mayer. And Gabby Mayer had a significant role. She had been invited by my dad to come because decades earlier, my dad, in a moment of desperation, he was far from God, did not know how to move forward, phoned Gabby Mayer and her husband said, I need to come see you. And he went to their house and she, her and her husband led my dad to the Lord. Now, fast forward years later, Gabby Mayer is sitting in the second row next to my dad at a church that's being launched by my dad's son, me. And I said, Gabby Mayer, would you stand? She said, why? What have I done? I've played no role in this. I said, Gabby Mayer, we would not be here if it wasn't for you. And that pales to what will happen in eternity. The crowns that await for people who leverage all they have to win eternity souls. I want to tell you again, live fully for heaven's reward and you will die empty of any regret. Finally, there's a crown of victory. 1 Corinthians 9, 25, see it this way. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal crown of victory. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. There's an athlete called Michael Phelps, one of the great Olympians of our time. And in the year 2000, he, he dived into the swimming pool at the Olympics in Sydney and he just missed out on a medal. And he vowed on that day, he said, I'm gonna give every single ounce of my energy, every single ounce of my existence, my time, my training, my eating, the way I, I conduct my life to win one of those medals. He didn't just win one of them, 2004, 2008, 2012, 2016, he was a significant athlete and swimmer at every successive Olympic Games from that moment, winning multiple medals, 28 to be exact, setting a new record, all-time record, breaking every record in the pool. Michael Phelps, Michael Phelps, Michael Phelps. But in an interview a couple of years ago, Michael Phelps opened up and said, you know what, after every Olympic Games that I was involved in, weeks after that, I sunk into the deepest pit of depression. He said, at the times I was suicidal. Why, he said? Because he said, I had this question going in my head. 
is this all there is? He was an athlete racing for a medal that would fade, whose glory would disappear. But the Apostle Paul says, we are not like that. Philippians 4 verse 14 says, I press on to reach the end of the race, the goal, and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. That goal, that the Hebrew, the Greek word is slopos, the thing that just strain with everything. It's a pole at the end of the race that I reach out to touch that with every sinew of my being. I'm gonna reach out to touch it, be the first one to touch the goal, the goal, my hope. I wanna reach out to it. And when I win that, I'll be in the game, Olympic Games of old, taken to the judgment seat, the beamer seat where they'll hand out wreaths and honor and glory and you'll be of significance in this life. It says like that, live this Christian faith. Live this Christian life with that energy inside. I tell you, this world, this world says this, fill yourself up. That's the mantra of this world. Fill yourself up on, on money. Fill yourself up on people's applause. Fill yourself up on followers on social media. Fill yourself up on people thinking highly of you. Fill yourself up on, on people saying, well done. Fill yourself up on living for other external things, wealth, for popularity, for authority. Fill yourself on that. But the very sense of the gospel is empty yourself out for the sake of Christ. The gospel says don't leave anything in reserve. Pour yourself out. Pour yourself out. When you have nothing left, pour yourself out. Not because I'm being used, no, but because I have a future, because I have a reward waiting for me. This is our hope today that I want to deposit in our hearts. Live fully for heaven's reward and you will die empty of any regret. How can I be so sure of this? Because I want to tell you that the one who calls you is also the one who sustains you. The one who's calling you onwards is the one who's also with you, cheering you on. His name was Jesus. And when he came to this earth, he was the antithesis of the rich young ruler. Instead of riches, he said, I'll forego wealth and I'll become poor for your sake. Instead of popularity and adulation, he said, I'm going to become a man of sorrows. Instead of authority, I'm going to lay aside the authority and take on the nature of a servant. And what's more, he went to a cross, a cross that was created by the, man's, the hands of man. And he was, crucified on, he was crucified on that cross by us, by our sins. And they placed on him the only one who is deserving of all glory, honor, praise, power, and life. A crown of thorns, a crown of shame. And I want to tell you today, Jesus in that moment, instead of the crown of righteousness, he took on our sin. Instead of the crown of life, he took on death. Instead of the crown of glory, he took on our shame. Instead of the crown of joy, he became a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Instead of a crown of victory, he took on our defeat. This is our Jesus. And why did he do all this? For the joy set before him. He went to the cross for the joy set before him. He went to the cross for the joy set before him, unflinching, unswerving, for the joy set before him. I'm going to pour myself out unto death for the sake of the joy set before me. He fully poured himself out. He fully lived for heaven's reward, for the authority that the Father will give him, the name above all names, for that seat that's higher than any other. He lived for heaven's reward fully and died empty of any earthly regret. This is my confidence today. 1 Peter says that Christ died. Christ died not just as a reaction to our sin. It says this. He said he died for us. The lamb was slain before the creation of the world. Follow me here. He died not just here in this moment for here now. He died beyond your birth. He died beyond the creation of the heavens and earth. He died in eternity past for the sake of the world. This is always in the Father's heart that he would die for us, that the Son of Man would be lifted up. He died in eternity past. 
Acts 2, Peter says this, this Jesus whom you crucified, whom you and I crucified, whose our sin put him on that cross, this Jesus whom you crucified was crucified before your very eyes. Literally, Jesus died. Not figuratively, not metaphorically, not some esoteric thing out there, no. He died. The God-man died. But what's even better than all of this is that in Revelation it says that the whole story will be wrapped up, that we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb. In the beginning, the Lamb of God. In the center of our story, the Lamb of God. At the very end, the Lamb of God. Let me tell you why I've got confidence. He has gone before you in this race. He is with you in this race, and He's calling you onwards in this race. He's gone before your most horrific past and says, my blood will go further still. He's in the, the midst of your raging addiction that you don't know how to get free of. He's in the midst of that. And He's in your deepest and scariest fear. He's gone before that and says, I have overcome. My blood will sustain. This is the call of Jesus to you and I today. Not a call of try harder. A call of eyes on the King. Everything else, I'm living on that light. Live fully for heaven's reward and you will die empty of any regret.